it going, wrestling fans? Welcome to Indie Handshake, edición de Lucha Libre. I am your host, Jesus Cruz, and I am here today with my buen amigo, a guy so nice, we had to interview him twice. This is his second appearance at Indie Handshake. Uh, Bigotes, a.k.a. Sweet, a.k.a. Sour Boon from Hood Slam. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Jesus. Saludos a todos mis amigos de Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. So translation, he's uh, urging everybody to vote for Donald Trump in this upcoming election, November 3rd. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I had to interview you twice. Uh, uh, Paul Ponte interviewed first. You were probably, I think, what, the second, third guest that we've had. Yeah. And I felt like you and I have had more um, had more of a connection when it comes to Lucha Libre. And I don't know if you guys covered too much of that, but that's why we wanted to do this, this episode. And uh, the, uh, I met first... I first met Boone at Arena Hayward. We had just opened the school with Jason Styles there in Hayward. And I believe it was the first Lucha Libre class that we ran. And it was only myself, Boone, and uh, Black Panther, uh, a referee uh, slash wrestler from the area. No, it was uh, Mascar and Fanel. No, it was just the three of us. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Mascar and Fanel didn't come until like later. Okay. Yeah, but it was just the three of it was the it was the day that you first I think you first went to actually train because before that I think you saw an American class right I, I did watch an American class and I decided to sign up and then right after that yeah I went to I think maybe one American class where I couldn't roll at all and then I trained with you and I did my first successful roll yeah no right on man well I was uh, I was the one that inspired you to do a a good role but uh how did you i know who your influences were in lucha libre but if you can tell everybody that doesn't know what made you uh what drew you into lucha libre actually uh i don't know if we've talked about this a lot it was my coworker at work he kept talking to me and talking to me and talking to me about professional wrestling and i couldn't relate to him all i could talk about was the stuff from the 90s and he kept saying lucha underground lucha underground so i i broke down i was on graveyard shift I downloaded an episode, and I was hooked. They had a casket match, uh, which you know is my favorite, and I was absolutely hooked. Uh, I really enjoyed Mil Muertes at first, and then Pentagon Jr. from there, and Vampiro. And then, of course, I started looking a little bit further out of Lucha Underground and found Torito. Yeah, a.k.a. Mascarita Dorada. Right? And then, so what made you decide, like, hey, I want to go and try this. I want to start training. And what made you pick... Our school. Well, uh, Mascarita Dorada is kind of what inspired me. Like, you know, if this little guy can do the coolest shit I've ever seen, then I can do something. Mm -hmm. uh, so I sent a message to Vampiro, actually, and he said, I asked him, you know, do you know any good wrestling schools in the Bay Area? And he's like, no, most wrestling schools are shady as fuck, and they probably doesn't take your money. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you contacted Vampiro. Yeah, so that was my first experience looking for one. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to go to all the top schools and pick one. So I went to Gold Rush first. I went to uh, Revolution. I went to... And then between before I go to the next school, I talked with them, some people from Stoner U, some of the then students. Uh, the guy I'm talking about actually dropped out. But he said... They train a little snugger, you know? And I was like, well, what's that? Like, I didn't know what that meant. And he's like, oh, you know, you know, like if we kick you in the face, we're really going to kick you in the face. And I just looked at it. I was like, well, that's stupid. Like, I already knew it was a work. Um, he's since dropped out, and I've trained with them, and it, they, they actually hold a great training as well. But uh, that kind of crossed them off my list. So I went to Arena Hayward after going to BTW and not seeing Jason Styles. But uh, Kaka was the one that told me about Arena Hayward, but he wouldn't just tell me about it. I had to like go be his friend, which is hard if you know Kaka. <laughs> uh, I had to like meet up with him twice. Once was at a Stoner U show, and then I had to meet up with him one other time. And then he finally gave me the address and when to go. Wow. Yeah. Pulling out a student. Well, I think, well, you came in when at the time where Jason had just left Big Town Wrestling after all these years that he's been there. And, uh, you know, at the time, uh, they didn't live in, uh, he didn't leave in good terms. So I think maybe that's why the hesitation from Kaka, because Kaka was still a big time wrestling. Yeah. And I just opened the school and it was kind of like. So, yeah. So while I was at uh, BTW, like, and I, 
I recognized Kaka from from an indie show, but he had his mask on, so I didn't really recognize him. I saw he had a hood slam shirt on when he was training, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna go talk to this guy. Uh, the girl I was sitting next to went to go talk to Ender, and I talked to Kaka, and you know, I was like, oh, you know, he, you know, he piped up to school, and I was like, okay, but where's Jason? Like, I'm not signing up for anything before I talk to Jason. Yeah. And yeah, Kaka said, okay, kid, I like, I like, like what you're doing, kid. And oh, said, kid. Oh, and uh, gave me his phone number and said, call him later. Yeah. And if anyone knows Jason Styles' phone number, it seems like the most fake number ever. It's like he has a lot of same numbers. It's like someone's just giving you a fake number. Yeah, like 1-800-878-800 or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what uh, when you started training, was it what you expected? Or, or were you surprised at how much uh, athleticism it takes? I was surprised at how much athleticism I didn't have. I mean, you know, I knew I wasn't athletic. But after going to all those schools, I kind of had a good idea of what it was going to be. You know, I, I went to five different schools and watched the training at each of them. So I knew what it was going to be, but I, I figured I could do a forward roll. I could not. I couldn't at all. And I didn't master the forward roll till later. Uh, I learned the right and left with you that night. Yeah. So it was, and I know once you got into Jason's class, then you saw that the Luchadores had a, a, a class right after his class. And a lot of times you stayed for both. So what was your preference at that point after experiencing both the American training and the Lucha training? Jason's was always my favorite. You know, Jason is so detail oriented. And at the time, the Lucha training was a little bit more haphazard. There was no real set uh, trainer. It was just, you know, whoever showed up. Exactly. And whoever experienced went to the front of the line and we kind of did whatever. Uh, going fast forward and forward, you know, of course, we had Jason, Ryan, and then we had Meteoro. So learning Lucha from Meteoro was always more hard than learning from Jason. <laughs> yeah, you're sure? Meteoro says. <laughs> ah, but yeah, I would say Meteoro would still be my preference because of how he teaches. Even when Sky Day came later. Um, I'll respect this guy. They met the order. It's almost like he was a teacher in a classroom that prepared everything the night before and knew what he was going to teach. So, you know, you would learn um, to do a tackle and then you would learn how to do a harocha, which is the counter of, from a tackle. But if you don't do the class with Meteoro, they just seem, you know, separated and you never really know. Yeah. Um, I did some training with uh, Evolution and I still use some of the stuff he, he showed me. Uh, I just use it with more psychology because I think he was, he was really missing that. Yeah, no, there was, you know, evolution. He was a talented guy to train with, but when it came to actual matches, it's like he'll do seven dives back to back to, to the outside with no like rhyme or reason for it. And yeah. actually one time I booked him in match one and a lot of these uh, older veteran luchadores take that as an insult. Like, Oh, why am I in the first match? You know, they really, they really go by, you know, where they're placed on the card, which wasn't the case. It was just, you know, that night we had other stuff going on. And sure enough, his first match came in. He did like seven dives to the outside. And it was like, okay. Just, and at one point, the crowd just, you know, when you're like that, the crowd, at one point, the crowd's just not going to be impressed anymore. Yeah. You know? yeah and by, the, by the seventh dive, everyone was just silent. And he had to be like, hey, come on. Like, Dude, you already tired him out. But yeah. yes, that, that is very much lacking in, in the Lucha Libre uh, aspect. Um, so you're, especially in the Lucha, since we're covering more of the Lucha training, you know, you're kind of came in as an outsider, kind of like as a gringo, as a, you know, a guy, but you came in prepared because you were uh, studying Spanish or you were learning Spanish. And then once you look, they saw that you were really committed to training and to learn Spanish, you know, I really think that they embraced you as as one of their own. Absolutely. Uh, just from my personal experience, whenever you're working with uh, immigrant communities, whether it's from Mexico, El Salvador or China, like you have to learn the language to get inside the circle. Um, I worked at a machine shop in South City and the Chinese guys wouldn't train any of the California guys that came on as temporary. Uh, I stuck it out. I started learning uh, Cantonese. And then when everybody, well, most of Californians quit because it seemed like they're never going to hire us. 
But once we all, or once I got hired on as permanent, they were treating me just like one of their own. And then, yeah. and once you once you do get embraced by the lucha the luchadores, of course they give you the nickname bigotes. Bigotes means well, it's plural. It's weird because bigote bigote means mustache. Bigotes plural also means mustache, but bigotes was more of a nickname. Yeah. And it's obviously because of of your mustache, but that was, yeah. that was it. Like they saw you. Was it Meteora that gave you the name Bigotes? I don't know. I, I, I don't remember being called anything else by them. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have a one syllable name that kind of translates to Spanish, Boon, yeah. but it's just Bigotes always. Yeah. Bigotes! <laughs> they just yell across the ring. No, but that's really cool, man. And um, uh, yeah, like I said, that you got embraced by them and then uh, they started inviting you. You know, once you went pro, let's let's go back to that. Once your debut match, when was your debut match? Who was it against? And what was your experience doing? Like, oh my god, I'm actually having a match. Yeah. Um, you know, I went back to watch that debut match a few months ago. Uh, I don't remember like, what it was. Oh, it was a uh, me versus Styles. So it was you know Crusader versus Jason Styles from NC17, and. Still one of my best matches. You know, Jason will make anybody look good. And I even, I went over by disqualification even. So it was great. Uh, yeah. So uh, tell us about that character, uh, the Christian Crusader, the character you created, because you wanted to be a mass luchador, right? Yeah. So, well, I wanted to be the Christian Crusader at Hoodslam because, you know, it's a lot of drinking and a lot of people smoke weed. And I was like, Oh, this can get over great. This can be a great heel. I'm gonna be, be a top heel for a year. This is my wrestling dream. A little did I know, you know, the promoters, you know, fairly religious. Not not Christian, but still fairly religious. And and so was the owner of the gym, <laughs> <laughs> Chewy. Uh, but yeah, like I had, I really had my heart set on doing that. And I did my best to get over at Arena Hayward. You know, I even got merch for free from, you know, Christian mailing list and stuff. So I could sell, I think I sold two stickers my whole time as the crusader, but considering I spent no money on it, Hey, two bucks is two bucks. And I remember you would take over the merch table. Like it's the Lucha Lourdes always want to sell their masks and their t-shirts. So it's, it's like a fight to get real estate on this table. And you just have all your Bibles and stuff laid out. And people were like, where am I going to put my shit? You know? <laughs> uh -huh. But yeah, I mean, you know, the merch was to get the character over. It wasn't really to sell merch. Yeah. But that's how I came up with the character. And I did my best to get it over at Arena Hayward. I wasn't experienced experience enough to get it over at Hayward. Uh, I get it over at the, on the road later. Yeah. At Hayward, it just, it, it was a real flop. And, you know, was it, was it you or Jason that came up with the Beautiful Boon and the Antibodies? Yeah. It was me. I hated it. Yeah. Hated it. Oh, you're good. <laughs> but it got you over you were so you and you and uh uh aj and then later Deidre were so over with with that team you know and then donovan troy came in as a manager and, you know uh he really got the crowd behind you guys so i was like dude this is perfect the crowd is hot for you guys lucha and american uh, uh fans were behind it but you just weren't feeling it and Oh, I, I was. I remember you wouldn't bring your gear on purpose sometimes. I was too new and uh, I, I was too blind to it, you know. Uh, I didn't really learn how to work a crowd or to get a crowd behind me until I was working with, I was essentially married to Necrosis for a while, just working wherever we were. And I remember like it was at a, a show in San Jose and the crowd finally got behind me and then it was like, oh, get it now i get i finally uh selling and everything clicked and i think that was right at the end of beautiful boon so going back to the christian crusader you know you're a mass wrestler and you mentioned hood slam so hood slam was your ultimate goal in wrestling even when you started training with us your goal was to go to hood slam and you did that goal and i congratulate i've done it before publicly i'm really glad that you you got to, to do that and uh, actually, now that I think about it, when we first posted on Arena Hayward, our first student, oh, by the way, he was the first graduate from the Arena Hayward uh, Jason Styles School. And uh, once we posted your gimmick, Christian Crusader with your mask, and you're like this, I remember Sheik, she commented, uh, uh, 
Oh, I'm gonna. What did, oh, I forgot what she said. Uh, uh, oh, I'm gonna really uh, get along with this person or something like that. You know, I just thought that that, that was like a whole you know 360. That now you're working at Hood Slam. And you know, I think that's part of something I just never thought of. You know, you you have to think about how your gimmick's going to be received by the promoter and also by the fans more than just the gimmick inside your head that you're daydreaming. But I mean, you know, I was just marking out at Hood Slam, like, oh yeah, like this is gonna be a great idea. Yeah. Uh, she gave me a much, you know, Sheik was one of the best trainers I had, both not just in training when we trained together, but the way she kind of led me along and gave me certain props and gave me certain storylines at Hood Slam. I've learned a lot there just from kind of like, here's kind of some blocks, put them together. Yeah. And you, you started training with Sheik after Arena Hayward closed, right? Right. So Arena Hayward closed. I wasn't going to go to BTW. I wasn't going to go to Revolution. 17. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't going to go to, you know, to another school. I wasn't going to turn my back. Uh, Jason said, you know, don't worry. We're going to have another school for you shortly. I was like, okay, uh, I'll hold on. So I started training with, not really with Mantis so much, but I started training at rings that Mantis had connections with. And then at Mantis's ring in Oakley, out in the, the wilderness, out on a ranch. So I did that until January. And then January, she started training. So I was doing a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and again, that good, that shows your commitment to wanted to keep learning and wanted to keep working everywhere. So let's talk about one of the biggest opportunities you had maybe a couple of months in after debuting. And that was a show in Los Angeles, um, which was, they wanted to get on the uh, Guinness world of, um, uh, book of records, uh, as, uh, was it 150 person battle Royal something like that? And that's what they yeah, I don't think they, they hit that goal. Basically, they had like two or three rings, and it was in this rodeo. And I remember there, uh, there was a promoter in L.A., and he hit me up, or Roquero, asking for people. So I send them, you know, they want guys from NorCal, SoCal, Mexico, all this part. So I remember uh, I got Jason, Styles Book, Scotty Ringer, Samara, uh, Christian Crusader, Deidre, Deidre Fresh, and Necrosis. And they were really new. You guys were brand new. And now you're in this battle royal with Ultimo Guerrero, all these CMLL big, big, big guys. And I thought it was hilarious because you guys were brand new. You guys were kids. You guys should have been eliminated right as soon as you got in. But you, Necrosis, and Deidre got together and it's like, they're not going to take us. <laughs> and you guys held each other like, no, 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 we're not going to go out yet. We're not going to go out yet. And there's these big CMLL guys just trying to get you guys out of there. What was your experience doing that? So that was one of my favorite matches ever, really. Um, me and the Crosis knew who the CML guys were. Deidre had no idea, you know. So I kind of thought of this idea with, you know, the guys in the back. I was like, okay, we're just going to work each other the whole time. Two on one. We'll, we'll go back, go back, go back. And if somebody jumps on us, all three of us will jump on them. You know, we're going to stay in as long as we can. Um, I got split from the group, Las Luchas, or Los Luchas de uh, Los Angeles. They picked me up, both of them, and threw me out. <laughs> uh, that was a long fall. Yeah. And, and, you know, Necrosis and Deidre worked for a bit, and then Necrosis goes out, and Deidre doesn't know who the guy from Consejo are. So he stays in, and yeah, like Ultima Guerrero and all these guys are like beating up on him, and you know, Necrosis are like trying to tell him, get out <laughs> oh man but yeah that was absolutely my favorite battle royal i've been in and i look forward to more battle royals where i have friends there just so i can employ that same fun tactic yeah what was the feeling in the locker room being in front of these guys like negro casas felino and all these dudes yeah so i remember uh you know felino and dali's coming up to us and asking us uh for translations and then I remember when we went back after the Battle Royal, uh, Caristico, who was one of the people I, was, I had watched and had fallen in love with, uh, was, you know, for me to the camera where I'm sitting right now. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't mark out. I didn't, you know, shake his hand. But it's just like really surprising, you know, being three months in 
and having a match, even if it's just battle royal, with uh, one of your idols. Yeah. Now, and another opportunity that happened. So you also, as, as you were trying to make a name for yourself as Christian Crusader, uh, you would also get booked as a ref a lot, you know, and especially in lucha shows. And they get you know, that's where the, another bigotes, you know, uh, the character bigotes, the referee also also came about, you know, because in, in lucha libre. Uh, referees also are a big part as far as gimmick wise. Like, you know, there's tirantes, there's, you know, all these guys that, and they, they were their own signature things. Well, your signature things is on your face. It's bigotes. Yeah. And one of the, one of my moments with you that I've marked out was when you got to ref a main event at Rocapulco. I don't even remember who the promoter, I think the promoter was Martin Marin from LA and the main event was La Parca, original Parca Adolfo. Volador or the senior, which was one of my idols growing up. And uh, I forgot who else against uh, La Familia de Tijuana, like Damien 666 and Bestia. And it was like, and you're refing it. And so right there, I was already proud. Like you're refing this big main event with these guys. But then La Parca uh, was doing a lot of spots with you. Yeah. To you and with you. And it was yeah. just like, oh, dude, I almost cried that day. I was so happy, you know. I, I was in the crowd and I was already, you know, I had a couple of drinks. I was there with like Mr. Punk and them. And I was like, straight up went up to the ring with my phone, just like in awe recording this. How was that experience working with La Parca? Uh, so I'm actually going to start off with a little bit else. Seeing the, the Tijuana family. Mm -hmm. I had seen them at my first Lucha show, uh, which was from, I guess, Lady Shark and Black Shark. I remember seeing them. And that was also the first show I had ever seen a heel ref. And that was also the first show I'd ever seen Jason Styles. So like that also kind of really sunk in when I first saw my first, Oh, and my first, uh, Exotico. Um, that was all that first show. And, I, and that was another thing that really hooked me into Lucha more than American wrestling, which was, you know, is largely played out in a lot of ways, but working with La Parca was really cool because I remember the referee that they had that they brought, didn't want to do the main event. You know, he had done the main event the night before or whatever. And he's like, Oh man, those guys really hit me. Oh God. You, know, I, uh, you, you can do it. You can do it. I was like, sweet. Uh, Cause I grew up playing, you know, WCW versus NWO revenge. And I'd always pick Lamarca. Yeah. You know? yeah. It was came with the chair automatically. And no matter what. Exactly. Like I already got my head start advantage. And so to be able to like get in the ring and do spots with Lamarca was really dope. Yeah. Of course, you know, the Rulos took off his belt, you know, they all hit him and then they gave it to me. <laughs> they gave it to me. I was like, okay, here we go. You know, I cracked him with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the good guys, yeah. And then the good guys, you know, they jump on. Uh, I, I DQ, you know, the Technicos. Yeah. The Rulos go over that round. And then they told, like you were saying, you know, they're an interesting part of the story in Lucha. A lot of the story they told in that match was the heel ref is, you know, starts out fairish, is heel, then he goes good. That was the big story of that match was me and my transformation. So at the end, uh, you know, he cracks me with the belt back and then him and I start doing spots to, you know, the Tijuana family. You know, he, he whips me, uh, I give him a splash, we do back rolls, we, we taunt together and everything. So, And I remember at the end, though, he did, you know, because, and, and this is another thing about that, that, uh, that show, you got Bigotes chance from the crowd. Yeah. Bigotes, Bigotes. And then at the end, Barca grabbed you by the mustache, and he kept asking for scissors, and you're <laughs> just like, boop, you like broke, you broke his arms on it, you just rolled out of there. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you, you, uh, he's big enough uh, in fame and size-wise where he can do what he wants. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so, when you realize, like, oh shit, I need to get the yeah. out of here. Yeah, no, no, that was that was a great day. You also, um, I think you also worked spots with uh, Cristal that day. I, think I did, kept, like stroking your mustache or something like during the match. Yeah, I took a bump. Uh, <laughs> yeah, did she kiss you or something, and you took a bump or something like that? I think. She pulled down her blouse and I took a bump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. So then you got to, you know, after working, you know, Christian Crusader, that wasn't really working out for you at, at Arena Hayward. Uh, how did you get hooked up to work shows in Mexicali, in Mexico? 
And how was your experience of working in Mexico for the first time? And under right. what name, what gimmick were you using? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Arena Hayward closed. I was going to remain loyal to Jason no matter what. So I, I started training, uh, not with, but around, you know, Mantis Lee. And Mantis got, Mantis went down El Centro, kind of got backstabbed by a promotion down there, got sit by him and stuff, came back. And then he said, you know, hey, I got this spot, uh, got this promotion on the other side of the border in Mexicali. So, you know, you don't want to come. You know, I don't know if they're going to have a spot for you or what. So I came. I don't, I didn't, I don't remember what gear I brought, but I think I brought my Crusader gear. But of course, you, you know, you have to have a license there and everything. And the angle they wanted to do, which, you know, I had no idea when I went down there. They wanted to do kind of an NWO angle where these guys from America are invading, you know, Mexicali. So I ended up not even wearing any of my gear. I just wore uh, the clothes I had on plus the T-shirt of the stable, the, the new standard. So, you know, I, we went down there, didn't have a lot to work with. But actually, I got Bigote's chance even down there that very first night, which was awesome. And then from there, they built the story of, you know, the green goes invading. So what I would do is while I'm in San Francisco, uh, you know, I just said, okay, well, I guess I'm keeping the name Bigotes now since that's what they're chanting. So I would cut promos about how San Francisco is better than Mexicali, how terrible Mexicali was. And it really absolutely was a terrible trip that first time when me and Mantis went down. Uh, we got stopped across the border. We, for those that don't know, you know, we, you go across the border, you come across. Normally, it's really easy. Sometimes you get taken to secondary and, you know, extra search. We got secondary searched three times going back and across the border that trip. And then so I, we got pulled over and we just we couldn't find anything. And they didn't give us ice and a harmica and even their tacos weren't very good. And so I just like made a list, you know, just a, a list on my phone. And I went back to San Francisco. It's like I'm going to cut a promo about how much greater. San Francisco is, whether it's our Jamaica is better than yours, whether it's our education is better than yours, whatever it is, you know, I was going to cut it. Because another thing, you know, once I cut that first promo, the fans on there, they would type away and they would say all these you know, mean things back to me, which is was exactly what I wanted. And I'm very glad they did. Yeah. And they would, you know, use a lot of misspellings because because of the education system. And so I, you know, I cut that down i could whatever i could find you know i just really drove it into mexico mm -hmm. um i had a great time down there and the people down there are great uh, <laughs> uh, you know. that is the most healer thing like we're getting this american foreigner trying to tell us how to spell in our own language yeah weren't you doing some promos about water too something about some water company yeah so one of the i, I was really fortunate i got handed the sponsorship promo um the main promoter said, here's a bottle of water. When you go back up, you know, cut a promo with this. And that was the best thing about Mexicali. And in Bigote's eyes, not in my eyes. But, you know, I had uh, three uh, shots in front of me and I was blindfolded. You know, one was Calexico water. I was like, mm. one was Mexicali water. And one was Agua Vida. And I tried, you know, the Agua Vida and I liked it. Calexico was so-so. And then when I had the Agua Vida, I... <laughs> Spit it right back at the camera. God, how do people drink this stuff, man? <laughs> now that arena that's behind you in your picture, is that, is yeah. that where you Yeah, so this is where we are wrestling. It's a Arena Nacionalista. Uh, Mr. Tempest is famous for wrestling here. He's uh, uh, big in TJ, too. I think he did a lot in Tijuana, Tempest. Yeah. So now that you worked American indie crowds and legit Lucha Libre crowds, do you have a preference on, on who to work in front of? I'll take the crowd in Mexicali. Yeah. Yeah. Even, um, you say even over Hood Slam uh, uh, crowd? Even over the Hood Slam crowd because of those promos. I can cut a promo in, in San Francisco, uh, promote it on Facebook in Mexicali for very cheap. And when I walked out, I was the, the only American that they all knew, you know, mm -hmm. everybody knew who Bigotes was because they all saw it on the Facebook streams or yeah. the Facebook feeds. So that was really cool, you know, to be the most overheal someplace. Yeah. 
and walking out and just, yeah. So I'll, I'll take, uh, Mexicali, uh, hood slam, American Lucha, and then, uh, indie wrestling. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you ever used this, uh, I was giving you some ideas of what to do when you went to Mexicali, like, you know, you have your bigote. I don't know if you ever used it, but I told you, like, you need to go like some guy with a mustache and, and like a smaller mustache, like, ah, tu bigote pequeño. And maybe there's yeah. like, oh, el pequeño, you know. Or to uh, a woman in the crowd, like, hey, I like your bigote. Like, nice bigote. <laughs> yeah, I use both of those, actually. Yeah, nice. Yeah. No, that's great, man. That's great that you got that opportunity to go down there. Um, oh, what was it? I totally blanked out for a second. Uh, um, well, you know, the promotion was called uh, PWL Pro Wrestling Lucha. It was a, by a guy named Gabo Suarez. And they ran four shows five shows so we got to wrestle for a full year you know okay that's cool um so let's talk about matches now what what has been one of your most memorable matches good ones and give me a bad one i have a bad one in mind (laughs) (laughs) that's never good (laughs) uh well a bad american one was i'm gonna try i'm gonna try to beat you to the punch i don't know if i if i'm gonna nail it uh, a bad American one was I was Latka Kaufman, uh, or Hijo de Kaufman. Hijo de Kaufman, doing an Andy Kaufman uh, uh, parody. Yeah, so that was another gimmick I didn't feel comfortable doing because, you know, I'm a feminist. and Who came, who came up with that? Uh, Kaka. Oh. Yeah, Kaka even, yeah, Kaka even took me to the store. He said, tell this guy what you want, and here's your shirt. Okay, I'm going to do it, yes. Uh but I, eventually I got into it and I saw how to work it. So I worked it and it, it actually worked really well. But when I did that, I ran a Hayward, uh, I had a pregnancy scare and my mind was nowhere near arena Hayward. Oh yeah. So when I wrestled in there, it was terrible. Like that was one of my worst American matches because of me. Oh, and that's the one I was thinking of by the way. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Well, I had, I had a pregnancy scare wasn't completely sure on the girl's name so oh yes yeah so that's why that was such a bad match we, we could have had a bigotitos running around you, you could have and that would have been with the wrong person <laughs> i didn't know that this is the first time hearing that yeah um one of my best lucha matches was against roquero um him and jason really are the best in the bay for lucha libre and it was me and Roquero, and we were down wrestling for whoever's running in Watsonville at the time. And we really tore down the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I even remember uh, a lady from upstairs was drunk. She came down and started fighting, fighting with Roquero to save me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we really got the crowd really invested. And that was undoubtedly my favorite Lucha Libre match. You also uh, got to work with him in Ox, Oxnard, right? Down in SoCal? So I didn't get a chance to work with him, but I got a chance to work at our, in Oxnard because of him. And they have a really nice setup. Um, it's Hex Pro Wrestling. And you're in a gym across the alley in another bar upstairs, and it's real nice, and you walk down across the alley. So it's a long ways. But you walk in, and they got a lower ring, and the fans are just right on you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I remember I uh, went to one of the shows that you were in for there. Yeah, um, I know you mentioned a little bit about the Mexicali uh, road trip, but uh, is there another road trip story that what that's that's been your favorite? Uh, least favorite was definitely the Oxnard one back. Um, I invited my then ex girlfriend, who at the time was already an ex girlfriend, and uh, one of the guys. I won't I won't put him on blast, but one of the guys from Hex, like. You know, butter a few drinks, didn't know she had a drinking problem. And yeah, so when we drove back, she was smashed. And it was me, Necrosis, and Diablo Azteca. And I felt so bad and so embarrassed that, you know, she was changing the stereo, she was blasting it, she was turning it down. And that's when I learned that, you know, you don't bring your significant other on road trips. Or even if she's no longer significant, just don't bring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah remember hearing, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. 
Oh man. What's your favorite, uh, shady promoter story? Either you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but like either you, you got stiffed on pay or, or the funniest excuse of why you did not get paid that night. So my favorite shady promoter story was me and Kaka and a few other of us, we were working in Richmond and the promoter was stiffing people left and right, left and right. And me and Kaka kind of saw that and we knew they had enough money. So we waited. And so like, we were like some of the last ones there and we're just like, Hey, so uh, what about some money? This and we, right, yeah. And, and we got paid. <laughs> That's an inside uh, promoter. Uh. <laughs> but uh, Kaka and I got paid uh, decently. So that's my favorite story. Yeah. Uh, one of my least favorite stories is that time when, you know, Styles blew up at Pinales in Sacramento. And Pinales was trying to stiff people there. <laughs> and, and Kaka and I, and especially Kaka to his credit, uh, really stood up to some of those same guys from Oxnard. Yeah, yeah, from Oxnard. And we're like, no, you're going to pay this guy. So at least the guys from Oxnard got paid some. Okay. What has been uh, a crazy fan interaction you had Lucha Libre-wise? Um, walking out and everybody knowing who I was, you know, the music hit, you know, you go, ton, 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 and people knew who I was. So that was already pretty crazy, you know, only wrestling there, you know, three times prior, the music hits and people are booing automatically. And then there was an older lady there who literally attacked us with their cane and she hit one of my uh, stable mates and another one grabbed her cane <laughs> and, you know, tossed it back to her. But yeah, like literally being hit with a cane at Mexicali. But one of the things I do really appreciate about uh, Mexicali and Lucha crowds is they get it, you know. Um, indie fan bases, well, not even indie fan bases, but people who aren't wrestling fans, they don't get, you know, the heels are supposed to be heels. You're supposed to hate them. They're there to drive you nuts. And you can't, yeah, so it just doesn't get it through some people's heads, especially in America. Whereas, you know, in Mexicali, uh, after our last show there, all the crowd really appreciate, appreciated who I was. So that was nice. Like lots of people came, took photos with me, even though I was bigotes. I still took them, you know, and character and everything. So tell us a moment where uh, something embarrassing has happened to you in a, at a Lucha Libre show or a match or in the locker, locker room. You know, it was when I was still really new and I was starting to get think, everything together. I had a problem with my tights. I don't remember what it was, but I had new tights or different tights. I think I had ordered tights off Amazon and they looked nice in the pictures, but they were not. Uh, they were known, you know, to slip right off my ass. <laughs> and I had asked my roommate at the time, you know, okay, so these tights are probably going to slip off at some point during my match. Do I want to wear these chonies or do I want to wear these chonies? And I had a pair of just all black ones, you know, that I should have been wearing that, you know, were just the tight, you know, sports uh, shorts. And then I had a pair with, you know, red and white hearts on it. And I was like, well, you know, this will make them laugh and this is, will blend in. Uh, she said, you know, oh, yeah, make the, you know, the hearts. So I did, and it really didn't come out very well. Um, knowing that they were going to slip off, I probably should have worked it into the match. But I didn't. So that was one of the more embarrassing times. Yeah. It's because it looked like a really stupid mistake, yeah. even though it was halfway thought about and beforehand. That used to be one of uh, Jason Styles' old spots where – you know, he would wear his trunks, you know, especially uh, matches against Wildstorm. And then um, Wildstorm would go for a sunset flip over Jason. And, and as he was flipping, he'd grab his trunks and pull them down. And Jason was, would wear a thong underneath. So, you know, then the girls would go, Wah! you know, and that was that was a very common spot that he did. So yeah. I thought maybe he had taught you that. <laughs> no, he, he actually scolded me for uh for doing it wrong, if anything, maybe that's why he was extra noted, noted, well, no, extra noticed it. But. Didn't wear a thong. <laughs> so, 
So um, what what are what have been some of your favorite moments from Arena Hayward? You know, we had a good two-year run. And, you know, just like anything, you know, the, the promotions, uh, sometimes they, they fold for various reasons. You know, I, uh, I felt the gym, uh, the gym was awesome. I, th- I thought the feel of the gym was awesome. We had a lot of space there. Uh, we had the, an actual weight room there. But wh- what were some of your favorite moments from, from Arena Hayward? Making the posters with you. Uh, yeah. Still one of my favorite things I've ever done is wrestling is working on the posters with you. Mm. That was definitely one of my favorite moments there. Oddly, um, one of the best lessons I got there was from Ryan, uh, R2 Cool. You know, he really broke down that, you know, it's a business. You know, who's the best wrestler? The one that gets paid the most. That's it. Mm. So that's one of my really outstanding moments of being trained there. Mm. And waking up every day, or not every day, but waking up, you know, every Sunday morning, 8 a.m., 7 a.m., whatever it was, uh, going down to the Andoran restaurant down the street from me, having uh, platanos and having black beans. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, then, you know, just going in there when it's still cold as hell inside the arena and training and warming up and just building that bond with uh the five of you, you know, you, Styles, Ender, and Scotty. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know it can get cold in there because I've I've slept in that ring. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, me and Bandolero slept in that ring while while we were waiting for a show once. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I think he had just flown in from Chicago or from. Uh, yeah, it was Chicago, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was Chicago. Uh, I took him. I picked him up at SFO. I took him around Mission District, which is where I was living. Yeah. And then we showed up early, which was something I was known not to do. Yeah, exactly. See, at that, <laughs> in that part, you were really well versed in Lucha Libre because you were always late as, as, as these guys. Are. <laughs> uh, Arena Hayward is actually where I started to fix that, though. Yeah. Uh, Jason's classes. I started being on time all the time. And now, now because of my previous jobs, I'm actually on time all, all the time. Yeah. Now, when you were training, which going back to training, we're going to go back a little bit again. Uh, how was Jason's training as far as like, did you ever, because I know he can be kind of, um, he can be kind of uh, extreme as far as, as his temper or uh, the way you teach yourself. How did you, did you feel like, oh shit, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know <laughs> if I can deal with this. Yeah. You got slapped in the ear pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> um. My hearing is fine. I just took a hearing test, fortunately. But yeah, like, he's appropriately strict when I was at Arena Hayward. Uh, I've heard stories about him at BTW where apparently he was much more strict, um, you know, before getting married. Um, and training with him at uh, in Los Baños, you know, he's even more lax. I think I really got with Jason at the right time where he wasn't overly strict, but if you slapped him in the ear a couple of times, he was really going to fucking wallop you in the air. Yeah. Um, and I remember another guy screwing up a lot and, you know, he pounced on him yeah. and put him right down on the ground. And the guy was legitimately scared, but it was the right amount of strictness. It really was. Um, if you did something right once, you can do it again. Yeah. And if you didn't do it again, he was pissed and he was right. And I think that's absolutely correct. Um, yeah. He'd show you something until you got it right, and then he expects you to get it right from then on. No mistakes. It wasn't like, oh, you know, you got two out of three every time. Yeah. And speaking again to the uh, um, discipline, uh, a lot of the lucha instructors, it was like you said, it was whoever showed up, you know, and whoever was the first one to show up, you know, it would be either Roquero, Mexican style. But I think when Meteoro joined us, it was more of, uh, okay, this is set. He's going to be the one leading the class. He's always going to be there. But a lot of the luchadores like Puños, guys like that, would want to go and train with Jason instead. Even though, you know, Jason does know Lucha Libre, but they wanted to get more of their basics down. And and they saw that it was more of a well-put-together class. So that was, you know. uh, Yeah. I think Puños and a lot of the Lucha guys too wanted to be able to work an American show if the opportunity arose, you know? Yeah. I know that's one of the reasons Puños went there. Um, I know Utrecht 
uh, one of the reasons he wanted wanted to, to learn Jason's uh, was actually the kind of the opposite reason of why I want to learn Lucha. You know, I want to learn Lucha to do it with Americans, not knowing that it doesn't work that way. And then he wanted to learn American to do it with Luchadors. Yeah. Which might work a little bit better. But yeah, don't do Lucha with Gringos. What was some of your favorite seminars that you've had there? Sky Days. Um, I mean, you can't be just the repetition. Um, I wish there was more repetition with Sky Day, if anything. Yeah. I, Even though that I was, you twice. <laughs> well, let's not, let's not talk about that, all right? I'm still waiting on some gear. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, haven't seen the photos of the gear. I I think he's got it made. Just waiting for the man. Yeah. Just waiting for the man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's uh it's a pro tip. Don't ever ask another luchador to bring you gear. Yeah. Just um get it but, yeah. but really and truly, Sky Day seminars, whether all the seminars I've been to, including the ones over Zoom, Sky Day is really number one. Uh Pong. I did a a, a live one with Pong. A live seminar and that was pretty good as well that was i i got a lot from that. Okay. but that was more storytelling versus you know lucha libre now um how has lucha libre or pro wrestling affected your personal life has, has it ever been to where either you got hurt you uh hurt that you couldn't go to work or anything similar like that yeah so when i signed up for arena hayward those were some of the most productive years of my life um, I was just firing on all cylinders, uh, whether I was dating somebody, I would also be, you know, doing the wrestling training more than anybody else at our school. I would come, you know, uh, Sunday mornings for Jason's class, Sunday afternoons for the Lucha, Monday evenings, Wednesday evenings, and then Saturdays. So I was doing Lucha, you know, four days a week, working five days a week, full time union organizing, uh, a lot. I was. Uh, I had a, a union office even where I was the head of that. And I had to balance that out with uh, Lucha Libre. And that, that's actually a reason why you don't see me in a lot of the pictures from Arena Hayward, even though I was there more than anybody else. For those picture days, I would often be doing a seminar about union organizing. Yeah. And then the, the day that Arena, or the week that Arena Hayward closed, I resigned from the union and I broke up with my then girlfriend. Oh, wow. So that was just like, I, this like, things are just falling apart. I was just like reset. Yeah. And that time, like you said, you didn't want to do the, the, uh, beautiful boom gimmick. Even though, like I said, it was one of the, I was like so happy that it was getting over. And then you did, okay, we talked to you. We decided, okay, you don't want to do that. So let's do something else. And the next show, like, uh, Alan and DJ won the tag belts. <laughs> you were just like, damn it. <sighs> Uh, yeah, you know what? Had no, by the way, it had nothing to do with like, oh, we, we're going to teach Boone a lesson. No, it, it's just, <laughs> they're over. Like the crowd loves this gimmick. You know, yeah. let's, let's put the belts on them. Well, hey, you know what? I'm glad I could have been a part of getting, you know, Alan over. Yeah. If nothing else, that, that was really my goal. My personal goal was to get Alan over as doing that gimmick. Everything else about the gimmick, I didn't like. I didn't want to do it. I didn't understand. Do you still have a shake weight? I never had a shake weight. Um, I wouldn't even come to the ring with a shake weight. Uh, I would sometimes borrow theirs, but I would typically just come to the ring with my bow tie, take it off, dance with whoever I saw. Yeah. and then That was perfect, man. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? My, my year got stolen too after I was supposed to make the comeback as the Crusader. It was like the- It was me, Boone. <laughs> I stole your fucking year. Fucking <laughs> Uh, yeah, I had got a, a boot on my car and, uh, I didn't realize that I left my car unlocked and no windows were smashed, but the, the trunk was cleared. No bottles, no more bottles in my trunk and no more wrestling gear. I don't know what they did with beautiful Boone and Crusaders wrestling gear. I looked up and down mission street for it. Uh, other than the antibodies gimmick anything else you found disappointed in wrestling like you thought it was going to be something else when you were uh on the outside looking in and now that you did it anything you found disappointing i didn't think it hurt that much i, I mean i knew it was gonna hurt but man it it really hurts like your your back will really feel it until you build up that tolerance and that's kind of one thing you know like when we go back after all this like how's my back gonna be 
Um, I was fortunate that, you know, I got, I bought a new car while I was running out of Rena Hayward, right? Probably at the peak of it hurting. Mm-hmm. So I had heated seats. So every time I jumped in that car, I hit that heated seat and, ah, relaxing drive home to San Francisco. That, what else? Not a lot of disappointments overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And outside of wrestling, outside of Lucha Libre, like I said, you and I became. Oh, you know what? There's one big disappointment. And I think it's that it, my expectations got really elevated when I went to that first uh, wrestling show where I saw, or first Lucha Libre show where I saw a Chihuahua family. And I saw a luchador running late and he had his mask on. He had his bag. He had his wife and his kid. He pulled up in his nice car um, and he went in. And like just the amount of kayfabe was really, really stuck with me. And I think just the laxness of everybody on kayfabe really was a letdown overall. Mm-hmm. And it still, still really is. Um, I think that's what makes this sport or art the most compelling art in the world today because of kayfabe. Because it's, it's art, but it's real. We treat everything like it's real. And when you don't, I, I, don't, I don't like that. And, you know, uh, I was very serious about my mask for a long time. I would show up every time with my mask, take it off in the locker room. Um, never, never crossed my accounts, my social media accounts. And it wasn't until my uh, friend wrote an article on me. And I asked her, you know, like, this is just like you and your teacher, right? Like, this is just for homework. And she's like, yeah, yeah. Um, well, she was a reporter. So once her name built up, my name also went up in the Google so, you know, I would go on to go on dates with people and they would, they have already like done a, like a little back, personal background check and they already knew who my identity was. And then I went to work and I was just like, well, shit, you know, my, some of my uh, coworkers, they did background checks on me and it's like, oh, well, I guess the gig is up. Yeah. And that, that's kind of when I decided, okay, you know, I don't need a kayfabe crusader anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I had to ask you before this interview. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, that's the biggest letdown is people don't take kayfabe as seriously. Even my uh, s- social media accounts, um, I, you know, it really looks like I love dogs a lot and that I'm really sad a lot. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I text you. Yeah. I posted something and I, you know, I, I, I haven't been at Hood Sam in a while. So, I, you know, I only follow what people post or highlights. And I know you did that thing with uh, Schneri. And yeah, you posted something and I called you. I'm like, dude, are you all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just selling. I'm just, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That's what makes this the most, the the (laughs) most compelling art form is that like, it's real. You can really, if you're, if you're willing to really push that envelope, even on people who, who know, or people who who are into it, like they can get so much more enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I recently just did a, a, a promo where I took, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, which was a cartoon on Nickelodeon for a while. Um, my current girlfriend loves it. And she always cries every time the scene plays or I play music from the scene. And it's about this uncle and his son dies in war. And this is like his birthday um, ritual for his son. And it's the saddest thing in the entire series. So I, I studied it. I got all the, I pulled the Jesus Cruz and I got all the angles the day before that I wanted to shoot. And then the next morning I got up, you know, four o'clock in the morning, went out to the hill and shot everything. And I just mimicked exactly what that was. And even though I had tagged that, you know, I know, I, you know, I kept kayfabe for the, for the recording and for the, what I wrote, but I, you know, I had even tagged it, you know, like Avatar, Avatar, the last airbender, Uncle Iroh. And a lot of my non-wrestling fans, um, or not a lot of my non-wrestling friends commented like, oh yeah, like we're sorry about your dog. I'm just like, this is way overly produced for anything like that. Yeah. But I know the fans that got it, got it and they enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you always put definitely, even in Ernie Hayward, I mean, you're a crusader, you put a lot of thought to your promos. You know, I shot a couple with you. We went to that um, church over in Castro Valley you know, stuff like that. So you always had a, a good eye for, for, uh, for stuff like that. And I really appreciated that. Speaking of, you know, cinematography and stuff, you also were in two of my short yeah. movies, two or three, I think two. You were two, two and then one with your friend. One, which was one? Oh, with uh, Renee. Yeah. 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 
how, how was that? Did you do acting before? I know you would do little video skits before, but how was it like working with actors and, and working with the crew? It was really cool. Um, it was interesting to see how you guys shot much better than I had previously done it. Um, Cause previously, you know, I had no experience other than theater class and that they didn't really teach us filming. So I would set up, you know, two cameras and then shoot. And I, you know, I learned about like the 180 rule from you. And so that was really a great experience. I, I would really like to even do more action stuff with that. Yeah, no, it was great having you work, working with you. Uh, so uh, just lastly, you know, what, what's next? What's next for Bigotes? What's next for Sweet Sour Boone? Um, well, once the coronavirus pandemic is over, you know, we got to kind of see where everything is. Um, I'm really interested in working for Jason still, you know, uh, I'm really interested in not just working for, you know, Hood Slam, but really pushing the envelope and making it as much money as I possibly can. Because that was another thing that, you know, Ryan talked about too. It's, it's about making the company money. You need to be the most valuable asset they have by drawing the most tickets. Yeah. So I really like to, whatever it takes, you know, whether it's promoting my personal self or pushing the envelope on the promotion, I'd really like to push or help push uh, Hood Slam to whatever is next for Hood Slam. And beyond that, uh, I you know before this pandemic, when I was you know still working, I saved up you know fifteen thousand dollars to open up uh, my own promotion during the pandemic. Because even though I knew it wasn't going to happen anytime soon, I would have that money stowed away. So I'm going to invest that into different places. And once this pandemic over. Hopefully, I'll start promoting here in the city. That's great, man. I, I really, you know, like you said, you, you already met one of your goals in wrestling, which was Hoodslam. So I don't see why you won't hit another, another dream, another goal. So I mean, I made a really earnest attempt two years ago to, you know, open up a promotion. I had a warehouse on Mission Street, Mission and Twenty Third, and it unfortunately collapsed. Um, not quite literally, but one of the walls did collapse, literally. Yeah. That's a good thing people weren't in there watching the show. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would really like to do my own promotion and push the art form to the next level. I see a lot of markets that aren't being tapped into and creative ideas that I, ha I haven't seen any other promotion really do yet, which I got to really get on because whenever I got an idea, somebody else always does it right before I do because they already had the money, they already had the ring. So now I got the money. Um, when the pandemic is over, hopefully I can build that. Yeah. Yeah, right on, man. Anything else you'd like to share? Any, any Anyone you want to shout out? Maybe you're a man crush, Mel Teodio. Hi, Mel Teodio. Just, you know, thank you to all the people that have really been there. You know, you, Jesus, Jason, Mantis, Sheik, Meteoro. Thank you to all of you. Um, I'm working on a new project too, Arts of Labor, at Arts of Labor. Don't have a lot up right now, but I'm going to, once I go back to work next month or this Monday, I'm going to start getting back on a schedule to upload things. Okay. That's great, man. Like I said, you know, we became uh, really good friends over the years and I really do appreciate all the help that you've, that you've uh, done for Arena Hayward, like the posters and just pretty much anything that we've ever asked, uh, you know, going out with me to hand out flyers and all that stuff, drive people around. Uh, I, I really miss uh, receiving your texts or calls in the middle of the night his saying, hey, I found this uh, casket. Do you <laughs> want it? No, I don't want a casket. <laughs> it was a free casket. It was on the side of the road. Hey, so if I had a truck, I'd have been at your house with it. Damn. Did you use it for a hood slam or anything? And, uh, no. That's the most right. I just found a casket in San Francisco in the middle of the street. <laughs> well anyways thank you Boone Bigotes gracias por todo te lo agradezco uh, and that's it for Indie Handshake Edición de Lucha Libre with Bigotes I'm Jesus Cruz and we'll see you next time huh. that's our Arena Hayward war cry <laughs> <laughs>